In the name of God, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Marianne, and it is a great privilege to worship God with you this morning. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to say in your presence how much I respect and admire your rector, Ed Kelleher. Many in the diocese, you should know this, myself included, seek him out to learn from his wisdom and draw inspiration from his faithful and gifted leadership. I'm equally pleased to join with you this year in welcoming to the diocese your wonderful associate priest, Nathaniel, and today to have the opportunity to thank you, the members of All Saints, for your faithfulness in following Jesus and commitment to his, to his work in the world. And if you are, like me, a guest today, please know that you have entered a community of faith that will embrace you warmly and is committed to sharing the love of Jesus in, gift, in Christian community. As Father Ed said, we are at, at the second Sunday in a season that is patterned after Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, which was a time for him of testing and prayer as he wrestled with Satan, and from the perspective of his humanity, he wrestled with what it meant for him to be who he was with the power that he had. And Lent, for us as well, is a gift, a time for us to set aside for a bit of self-examination and intentional prayer, openness to what God may say to us when we take the time to um, sit and reflect and ask, and also open to whatever wilderness might teach us in whatever ways we experience wilderness. Sometimes, like Jesus, we're called into a wilderness to physically or emotionally go to a place that is challenging, testing, and can break us open in new ways. Other times, the wilderness comes to us in ways we least expect. Lent leads to Holy Week, which leads to Easter. We are walking with Jesus toward the cross and all that the cross represents. And so through these sacred stories and prayers and teachings that will inform our worship from now until then, we are walking uh, to the cross with him and through the cross to the mystery and power of, of resurrected life. Now this walk, this walk toward the cross, toward Jerusalem, is right at the heart of the Gospel of Luke, from which we read this morning. Um, it's, it takes up just the big middle section from chapters 9 to 19, the, the journey that Jesus takes from his hometown in Galilee to his destination in Jerusalem. The first nine chapters are, which of course tell of his birth and his growing up and his baptism and his initial teachings are all centered around the region of the Galilee. And if you were in church a couple weeks ago, you heard the story of a time when he climbed a mountain with two of his closest friends and how on that mountain he was bathed in glorious light and incredibly Moses and Elijah appear to him and the three of them discuss what the text describes as his departure, which was he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now the word translated departure is the same Greek word for exodus, 
the word used to translate the Hebrew word that is, as you know, the title of the second book of the Old Testament, which tells the story of Moses and the freeing of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt and their journey through wilderness to a land of promise. No other gospel uses that term to describe Jesus's journey, only Luke. And it's like Luke sees in Jesus's death and resurrection another exodus, even greater than the first, because this exodus liberates all people of all races, male and female, poor and rich, old and young, all who hear and choose to believe that Jesus is Messiah, Savior, and Lord. And when he comes down from that mountain, he senses that the day of his departure, of his exodus, is drawing near. And so, pivotal phrase, pivotal verse, 951, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. He starts walking toward the destiny. He starts walking toward his death. And 9 through 19, those chapters tell all that happened to him on that road. And you might take time to sit down and read in one sitting, as I did this week, those 10 chapters. A lot happens on the road. It's his life unfolding on the road. He appoints 70 of his uh, followers, 70 of his followers, to go on ahead of him in pairs to all the places he intends to go along the way. And they're like his front team, preparing people to receive him. And apparently they're wildly successful because they come back to him exuberant. Lord, they say, even demons submit to us. And he replies, equally overjoyed, I, I saw Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. And blessed are your eyes that see what you see. And you, you know, in retrospect, that he's preparing them to do that again after he is resurrected. He also encounters on this road people who want to test him, such as a lawyer who asks, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And as he often did, Jesus replies to that lawyer's question with a question. Well, what is written in the Torah? What do you read there? And the lawyer replies, the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right, do that and you'll you'll live. And the lawyer, you remember, wanting to justify himself, asks, well, Who is my neighbor? Tell me who I am to love in this way, presumably so that I don't waste my love on someone not worthy of it. And Jesus responds, again, not with an answer, but this time with a story, one of his most beloved parables of a good man of a despised race. There's a powerful video circulating social media now It begins, uh, you see an office, a doctor's office, and there's a young man of Middle Eastern descent sitting alone on a long bench, and he's clearly nervous. And a family of three walks in, parents and a young girl, 
and there's nowhere else to sit, so they sit on the bench, and the little girl sits next to the young man, and the mother instinctively pulls her away and draws her close to her, and the father comes around and sits between them, and the mother goes off and stands to the side to get as far away from this young man as they can, and they're all looking very uncomfortable. Receptionist comes out and invites the family and the young man to go into the doctor's office. And the doctor greets the little girl warmly, hugs her, and says, Anna, you look so much better after your surgery. And the father eyes the young man and asks the doctor, what's, what's happening here? And the doctor moves in and puts his arm around the young man and says, I wanted you to meet Safar. He is Anna's bone marrow donor. And the young man smiles. Anna beams. And the parents look at one another and look down, and then with softened eyes at the young man with gratitude. Who was the neighbor to the one in need, Jesus asked the lawyer. The one who showed mercy, he replied. And Jesus said to him and to us, go, go and do likewise. Continuing on this Jerusalem road, he then meets Martha and Mary. You remember them. And he stops at their house to rest, Martha busying herself in the kitchen, Mary plopping down at Jesus' feet not to miss a word. And Martha complains because her sister won't help. And Jesus replies with words that I have etched on my forehead. Martha, Martha, with me it's Marianne, Marianne. You are worried and distracted by many things. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. And I am a better person when I ask myself each day that question, what is the one thing needed of me? I am a more grounded person when I take time each day to sit and open myself at his feet to his word. Continuing on the road, the disciples ask Jesus how they're to pray. And he teaches them what we now refer to as his prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Conflict and controversy begin to follow him as he approaches Jerusalem. And he, he has harsh things to say, actually, to people who practice their religion but neglect to do justice and to honor the love of God. Um, he has uh, very little of kindness to say to those of us who are given places of honor in worship um, and who want to be treated in, with respect in the marketplace. Woe to you, he says, who load people with burdens that are hard to bear and do not lift a finger to ease them. And then at some point, which is where we are today, at some point he stops and rests on this Jerusalem road. He still has a long way to go. We're at chapter 13, right? Six more chapters left, but he stops and he rests. And some of the Pharisees, of whom Jesus has been very critical, approach him to warn him, get away from here. Don't go any further. Herod wants to kill you. Turn around, Jesus, and go back to Nazareth. And he replies, as you heard, go and tell that fox, I'm coming. And then, and then something happens that gives us a window into his soul. 
The text says that he laments over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Now, given all that's happening and how small this passage is, it's pretty easy to pass over and keep reading, but just sit here for a moment and ponder what a lament is. A lament is an expression of great sorrow about someone or something as great as in the loss of a life. A lament is something that rises from the depths of our being. It's an outward expression that often involves wailing and loud weeping, the kind of sobbing that hurts another person to hear as as a mother weeping over the death of her child. And this particular lament also carries the, the, the pain of rejection. How often I desired to gather you under my wing and you were not willing. There are few things in life more painful than having the best love you have to offer rejected and then watching the one who rejects our love turn from us toward a path of self-destruction. And that was Jesus' lament. It didn't surprise him. It didn't even seem to bother him very much that the religious and political leaders were hostile to him. Go and tell that fox. Now I'm coming. But to imagine the pain of, of rejection and indifference to those from those he had hoped to save and hoped to heal, for whom he had his best love to give. I suspect you know something of that pain, of having the best you have to offer at one time or another rejected by someone you loved, because that is the nature of love in an imperfect world. And then the question becomes for us, what will we do then? When our love is rejected or ignored, when those we love are the ones who hurt us, or when we are simply in a place of disappointment and grief, when the tide of opinion turns from praise to scorn, what do we do? What did Jesus do? His response then, as it is now, is to persevere in love. He knows what's going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem, but he He goes anyway. And he knows that while Herod will be the one ultimately to sentence him, the people he loves, people he loves will also play a part in his demise. You know that. Palm Sunday, the reading of that story. But he goes anyway. And on the road, and he's got a long journey ahead of him to this destination. On the road, he loves with as much love as he has to give. He teaches, he heals, he casts out demons. And he loves us in the same way. And he calls us to become the kind of people that can do the same thing. Even in the face of suffering and grief, even in the face of disappointment and hurt, to love and not turn back. That's the road to Jerusalem. That's the departure. That's the exodus. 
It's a road of self-emptying love. The kind of love that St. Paul writes about in his letter to the Corinthians, you know, love is patient and kind. It's not arrogant or boastful or rude. It, It believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things, and it never ends. This is not love as a sentiment. It is love as commitment of intention. For us, it's of transformation and grace because it isn't something we can accomplish on our own. I know that I can't. Rather, it is the fruit of a life, a lifetime of being loved by Jesus, knowing the depth of a love that will not let us go even when we hurt and disappoint him, a love that will not let us go in the face of our shortcomings and failings. This love is the fruit of a life in which we allow our losses and disappointments and the struggles to be given to be part of our story, part of our apprenticeship in this school of love and a vehicle of our transformation. We're all on this road It's our exodus journey, too, from slavery to freedom, from self-centeredness to self-giving. We're just on the road through all the demands and expectations and surprises of life, and Jesus is teaching us to love. It's a long and winding road, and we're on it. And at times on this road, we are going to be the recipients of overwhelming compassion. And in other times, we're going to be called to show it. In a life of competing demands, we on this road will be called upon every day to ask, what is the one thing that is needed today? And like Mary, it's so important for us to take time and sit at his feet. If nothing else, take time to rest and to pray and allow the love of Jesus to wash over you and sustain you and give you what you need to persevere in love as he loves you. We can't make this journey on our own. But thankfully, we don't have to. We walk with him, and we walk with one another. Amen. Amen.